0: Good morning, and welcome to the Weldon Green podcast. Today, I'm going to bring you a new episode of the Ask Weldon Show. You can check the show out live every day, 6.30 p.m., at twitch.tv slash mindgamesweldon. And remember that everything in the MindGames brand is supported by the Mac program, mindgames.gg mac, and you guys should use the code podcast as you're listening to the audio version of the show, rather than the code that I share during the video. All right, let's hop into it. Good morning, and welcome to the Ask Weldon Show, episode 235. Today, the show is titled, Emotional Pain, a Human Evolution. And partly, that's because TSM just lost, again. But, mostly this is because of the first question of the show, which has to do with pain and emotional pain, and why it seems that we are supposed to avoid it, but now we all of a sudden don't want to avoid it. Shouldn't it be like an evolutionary adaptation that we would want to avoid, similar to the way you avoid physical pain? Okay. So that's one of the things we're going to tackle today on the Ask Weldon Show. My name is Weldon. This is the show where you ask me questions based on sport and exercise psychology or peak performance, and I answer them from my background as a sports psychology trainer, uh, as a sports scientist, or as a professional esport coach, specifically in League of Legends. But feel free to dive in with any other question. You can ask a question on the show by going to anchor.fm slash and this is like a podcasting app, but mostly it allows for calling call-ins, which is super awesome because I have this very nice organized list of call-ins. I can click them, I can organize them, I can do stuff with them, and it's really really handy. So, and it uh, tunes up your voice so your microphone sounds incredible, sounds kind of like a radio esque voice, as you'll hear on the questions today when you listen to the show. Uh, and um, yeah, it's just it's just overall like a pretty cool app. So, it's not a sponsor or anything, it's just simply the thing that I use to get your questions. Anchor.fm slash Weldon Green. And somebody asked, somebody was confused about how it worked, came into the Discord and asked some questions. I was able to help them out. So, if you have any confusion or questions about how to get your question through, Discord is the best place to reach me. I'm sure that that link is below this video. Okay, let's jump into the show. okay first question today is from john golden voice boy i don't have his last name it's supposed to be john golden voice cena or something like that but uh yeah i don't have his last name so i can't use nickname all right where's your question
1: john Hey, Weldon. Hey, John. I've been reading about how pain, I'm talking about emotional pain, should be embraced because it means that you put yourself in a situation to take a risk, to get out of your comfort zone, and to give yourself an experience from which to learn and grow as a person. Do you think it's the right approach then to use emotional pain as a sort of roadmap or compass for knowing you're moving in the right direction in life? The reason I ask is because I always thought of pain as something that evolved in humans and animals as a way of telling you what to stay away from. So, for example, if I take a risk with something in my social or career life and it leads to emotional pain, how come I shouldn't listen to that as a way to avoid that in the future compared to, say, in the physical realm, touching a hot stove and burning myself would teach me to avoid taking that kind of action in the future. Thanks. So, as usual, another
0: fantastic question from John. Um, very well stated, by the way, as well. So, I appreciate that. All right. So, the answer is yes. Pain, uh, emotional pain, of course, we see it as an evolutionary thing. There is a field called evolutionary psychology, trying to uncover... The evolutionary, um, like take take a look at our emotions uh, from an evolutionary perspective, right? And so that means that uh, essentially, well, I took a definition from from two researchers I found that are doing this, Cosmides and Toby. I don't know if they're prevalent researchers in the field, uh, but they sure seem to have a lot of publications in, in in evolutionary psychology, and they sure seem to pop up in a lot of citations. So. In one of their papers, uh, in one of their book chapters recently, they're discussing kind of like, okay, so what is, what is an understanding of emotions from an evolutionary psychology perspective? Okay, so here is the, the kind of definition that they run through. So number one, it recurred ancestrally, right? So this is a situ based that our emotions then would be based in, in the evolutionary psychology perspective. Our emotions would be based on things that recurred ancestrally. Um, that would have to be the case, or else they wouldn't work their way into our genetics. Number two, they could not be negotiated successfully unless there was a superordinate level of program coordination. So, essentially, their their theory of emotions is that you have all of these program, uh, programs in the brain that are independent from each other that need to be associated for success. So, for example, you don't want—the uh, example they give is actually quite— clear cut i feel like you don't you have this uh sleep program that causes you to be going to sleep which is necessary for survival and you have this uh escape program which is necessary to escape from a tiger which wants to pump you full of adrenaline these two things cannot coexist at the same time uh even if you're sleepy and a tiger shows up so there has to be some sort of like design that allows you to select one or the other or to operate the system in conjunction as a whole so that one program one subroutine program of the brain is not kind of contesting with another one but rather there is a overarching program that decides this is what we're doing now and shuts that one off turns on a whole host of routines and shuts off a whole other host of routines or intervenes in them in order to to downplay their effects and that those are emotions so for example you your emotion of fear like overrides your sleep and pumps you full of adrenaline, even if you're tired in a way. Okay. Uh, number three, had a rich, reliable, repeated structure. Number four, had recognizable cues signaling their presence. So this needs to be social cues. If it's a social situation or social adaptation or actual physical cues in the environment. Or five, in which an error would have a large result, resulting in a large fitness cost. So this is the most important thing. Once you have a random, like a random mutation that causes this, then the people without the mutation need to be inferior to the mutation in order for it to then proceed to the gene pool, right? So you need to have a large fitness gain for this mutation, uh, which means that people who don't do it now or don't do it once it becomes dominant have a large fitness loss, which then weeds out those genetics so that it becomes a standard part of of evolution. So um, fitness means that basically, reproducibility or, or, or your own death. And under that lens, I want to answer the question. So, yes, John, emotions are evolved and you should avoid the pain that is associated with them, except that emotions are evolved to kind of deal with specific problems, which our ancestors ran into that aren't necessarily accurate to today's modern problems and so you're going to get a lot of triggers from the environment that should reduce your fitness but actually don't Um, and so instead of kind of avoiding all of these dangerous states that would reduce your ability to procreate or your ability to survive um, instead you're navigating a bunch of states that don't exist and have no impact on your ability to procreate or maybe even have a negative impact on your ability to procreate um, because of how society has changed, right? But that hasn't necessarily been brought very well into the system because our tribes have grown so large, right? Whereas it used to be you would be in a small village and all of the women in the village or the men in the village would, would know kind of like what happened to you in your history. Nowadays, you can meet people on the internet and so you can find a mate kind of regardless of like what embarrassing thing you did in class, I would say. All right. So given that situation, how is it that you that you find that you decide which emotional cues that you should ignore and which ones that you should follow? And I think that probably the best way to look at it is to say I want to as a human be always in a rational state of mind, so the ability to make a decision independent of emotions in all states so if your answer is I don't know which might be the case right because your life is very complex and my life is really complex and I can't tell you which emotions you should ignore and and fight against and which emotions that you should listen to as warning signs for how to behave in public because it will improve your chances so what I would say is you should develop the the capability or the mental strength to act in service to your values and not to obey your emotions under all contexts that's the whole whole idea behind buddhism right behind you're trying to become this like super saiyan person who can who can have all of these emotional contexts and either control their emotions in a specific way such as like increasing their compassion at all costs or like not give into their emotions which is the most important part and then they can make a decision that is best for the two people involved or the four people involved, or the best decision in in that kind of situation. So the main idea being that we should be able, as humans with our intellect, to be able to choose what is the best course nowadays, and therefore emotions have outlived their usefulness, in a way. Okay, so... What is the practical advice for everyday living? Because, in reality... You don't have time to go become an ascetic monk and control all of your emotions and increase your compassion. The practical advice is that, generally speaking, um, it's a good idea to, to lean into emotional pain as a way of stretching and growing yourself, even if it involves failure, because our failure subroutine is the one that is the most inhibiting for today's society. That's the one that the blog articles are probably talking about that you're reading, where like, you would lose face um, and then the failure would cause you to look like a failure in the group, except that nowadays um, we are aware that like you, you grow a lot more in terms of your like capabilities at making brave decisions. If you don't care so much about your face and you don't lose as much face um, as you should necessarily in today's society, because of the whole tribal thing I was talking about, maybe, maybe some other reason, I don't know, maybe we've changed as humans. Um, but anyway, it's better to be able to be a person who can take risks and who can kind of like put themselves out there and go up on stage and deliver the performance than it is to be the person who is too afraid to do that. The reason being that um, your like performance goes up. Your performance in the workplace, your performance in life, your performance in hobbies, and in in places like that. So, I think that essentially, it's the failure, the kind of whole like losing face one that that I think that most blogs would be talking about as the thing that you lean into that emotional pain. And the ones that you should pay attention to probably uh, involve you know compassion and a lot of the, the what the things that we think of as the healthier emotions like compassion and empathy and sympathy and the ones that um, that are telling us to kind of open our brains and our hearts and our understanding of, of other people. Those are the ones that you should kind of like listen to. And then once you're in a relationship, there's a whole host of things to navigate there, which I'll leave up to you. But one of the most dangerous ones that I've encountered repeatedly is the one that is like protecting yourself, right? Right? where i don't really know why this is evolutionary at all but it seems to me that the the biggest emotion that i have to fight and that most people have to fight in their relationships is the one that says to take care of yourself and that it's the other person's fault and to replace that with a more kind of patient and the ability to like admit fault and to um and to see the other person's point like i don't know if that maybe maybe like you have to have that for navigating society and then it infects and invades relationships because it's programmed for society but then like it doesn't just automatically deprogram it's kind of like the problem we have with female hips which is that they they aren't actually wide enough to allow babies to come out but they couldn't really be any wider and still allow males to walk around because, uh, like, there's there can only be like a certain biological difference between the sexes. Like, you can you can only have like a kind of a maximum amount of change that, and still have the same gene code, right, between male and female. So, f- so we had to evolve hips that were like kind of suitable for running, and for walking, but then suitable also for birth. So we had kind of had a hedge, like we have to get narrower ones than are suitable for like delivering babies, which is why. Babies have to go through this really convoluted, insane twist kind of mechanism move to get even out of uh, female hips, and at the same time, like, we have, generally speaking, hips that are a little bit too biomechanically wide for perfect, what you would say is perfect running, but we kind of had to go that direction in order to try to procreate larger-brained children, larger-headed children, or more of, you know, more kind of uh, children that were farther along in in their... what do you call it, in their embryonic development? What is the term? In their development? Is that the word? I'm trying to think of the word that means like, what's happening when you're an embryo. Anyway, children that don't have to go crawl into the little like uh, pouch, you know, and finish their gestation. Their gestation, that's it. Farther along in their gestation. So, yeah, so anyway, that kind of went far afield, but what I was talking about was that I think that you have bleed over, so we have these, these sets of emotions that are designed to navigate society and they have to be evolved to navigate human-to-human relationships there, but they aren't necessarily set up for maybe maybe uh, how you would relate to your parents or how you would relate to your um, your spouse. Even though these are incredibly important like relationships, they're not as important as the relationship of finding a mate in terms of procreation, right? And even then, um, yeah, it's you can see kind of how, how that works out, I think. So, I'm not going to go into the details. But thanks for the question. And I'm sorry that I babbled for so long on it. I, I did a little bit of reading to prep for it and wanted to share my basic understanding of, of how it is that the field sees the theories. But like I said, I only read a couple theoretical frameworks and I'm giving you the parsed uh, the parse idea based on these two on these five kind of rules about evolutionary psychology from Cosmides and Toby or these maybe this taxonomy of evolutionary psychology. But that's what the field is. And it sounds like an interesting field. And now I'm going to look into it more. Problem being I'm more interested in how to overcome these things in the modern world, less interested in, in identifying where they come from. And I think evolutionary psychology is mainly based on uncovering just like evolutionary biology, uncovering the history of where these things came from, which is interesting and an important question, and one we need to answer to move forward, but not one that I want to spend time researching and answering. Okay, let's dive into question number two. Hey, Walden. I'm currently in module four of Mac and have been incorporating mindfulness meditation in my day-to-day life. I've been wondering, are there any benefits to directing my focus myself compared to listening to an audio to, the, uh, to guide my mindfulness meditation? Thank you. All right. Short, succinct, quick to answer. Um, yes, there are benefits to guiding yourself. Those are that you become independent of the recording and you start getting the idea of how it is to be mindful kind of everywhere and to integrate it into other things. So once you're doing mindfulness off of the guided meditation, then you can start doing uh, also experimenting and dabbling with being mindful in different situations such as when you're in sport when you're at work when you're at the gym when you're lifting when you're writing whatever um and you can kind of adapt the program to fit the activity and you can also lean a lot more towards open monitoring is what i would suggest for you open monitoring being the kind of step that most often happens after you do a lot of breath focused mindfulness open monitoring is when you just allow thoughts to kind of go along but you're Focus is not on the breath it's on the paying attention to all of the thoughts so it's kind of like you want to have this meta awareness where you step outside your brain and you're observing everything you think and everything you feel and that's kind of the typical mindfulness you would expect to see in like a high performance setting or um Mm, kind of in in a lot of different activities, the kind that you need to use. So I would recommend experimenting with that. And yeah, there's a the benefit is is mostly like ease of use and and the amount of meditation you can actually fit into your life increases a lot if you can just do it on yourself and do it everywhere. But it's a bit like yoga in that they'll always recommend they'll being uh, you know meditation gurus will always recommend that you have a teacher uh, who does who you do check in with and who does instruct you, even if it's like an online app that's a teacher. Um, and that is uh, that is something that I don't know if it's true or not. I've been doing yoga a lot now, like four years without a teacher. Certainly, I bet that I would progress faster and that I would be like making less mistakes with a teacher. But I pay a lot of attention to my body, so hopefully uh, the I'm not making too many mistakes. Um for meditation, Andy Puttkom was my instructor. Basically, you know, Headspace and, um, you know, the Dalai Lama had teachers meditation and still does. So you know, he goes and consults with people who are, you know, supposedly above him in terms of their medita- meditative achievements. So it's uh, it's it's something. If it's something that some of the best people in the world are still doing, pursuing teaching or pursuing instruction or teachers. I guess it makes sense to do it, right? So there is that aspect of it as well. You shouldn't just go off on your own and never check in, more or less. Okay, last question. Oh, before we jump into the last question, you should check out the MAC program that Maximilian was talking about. Um, I'm, like hiding behind my banner here. Anyway, this is my online training program. It's 50 videos online. It's the MAC program, which is a mindfulness acceptance commitment training program. Uh, mindfulness-based performance enhancement, essentially, and I've used it with a number of different pro teams. It's the main go-to program that I have, and in order to kind of disseminate it into the world, I put it as videos online, which you can purchase access to, and then you have them, and you can work through it. It's supposed to be seven weeks, seven days a week, so it's 49 modules, and I'm currently converting it into an app, and so everybody who's in the program will just get shifted over to the app as the beta users once it comes out. And this program will be uh, relegated to the mists of time, and everybody will start using that one grandfathered in, and then we'll shift shift to the app. So that's kind of coming in the next few months, but for now, it's just online videos, not an app-like experience. And you can check it out, mindgames.gg MAC. Use the code askweldon. Use the code askweldon to get a $5 discount and to show that you come from this media channel. So that's how I'm kind of tracking where people are interested in it from. Okay. Last question of the show. Hello, Weldon. I've been highly motivated to practice and think about my esport of choice on a daily basis. I love my game and can't imagine my life without it. However, I think it's been getting intrusive to other aspects of my life. For example, I haven't been studying hard to get good grades in school. Before, I would used to work decently hard on assignments before esports was a big part of my life but now my motivation to study has gone significantly lower than before. I know if I keep this up, my grades will not be pretty in the long term, and I'm wondering how to keep a sort of balance between keeping my motivation for my eSport and still maintain discipline for school. I know I'm capable of getting good grades, but I have a hard time focusing on it. Thanks, Weldon. Okay, John, thank you for the question. So... The first, the first thing that I want to talk about related to this question is the term motivation. Uh, motivation kind of has two definitions, and I want to go by the one that that I want you to start to, to go by. So the two definitions are as such. First of all, um, there's the idea that of motivation, which is that society sees motivation as an observable, be- observable behavior from the outside, right? So society sees this person who does their homework... And who goes to class on time, and who shows up for jazz band, and does extracurriculars, and like finishes their math worksheets, and they say that person is motivated. And why do they say that? They say that because they're doing the thing that society expects them to do in a disciplined way. Um, but that's not what motivation is. Motivation is an emotion. So that person could n- could be completely not motivated at all, and still do those things. Okay, they, they, that's just discipline. So, discipline is just action in the absence of motivation, you would say. So, you don't have any motivational emotion at all, but you still show up to school and do your homework and you show up for jazz band and you try hard and you focus hard and you pass your tests, right? So, there is there is this, like, psychological definition of motivation, which would say that motivation is kind of a state uh, where you feel uh, this emotional urge to do something maybe and you have a little bit of agency and um what is i don't even know if there's an exact i mean i know that there's an exact definition of motivation um but i'm pretty sure that there's a it's fractured i'm pretty sure there's a bunch of different uh motivations for emotion in in the psychological uh psychological works so anyway go on that's just now i now i kind of want to do a presentation and look into that teach it but anyway going back to the the actual question so the way that i wanted you to see it as is that you have this emotion of motivation that's going to go up and down it's going to be connected to this thing it's going to be connected to that thing blah 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 blah. and then you have your goals things that you want to achieve and you should and and it's really good that you feel this itch you feel this desire to kind of like succeed in school and to you know Uh, live up to your parents expectations of you and to maybe follow the rules that society seems to think are important like that grades are more important than video games kind of because this is probably more or less accurate uh, for the vast majority of people who aren't going to go pro in video games all of a sudden Um, and also that the more insidious truths which is that a lot of the people who went pro in video games did so while they were getting good grades in school, because it actually helps to be a disciplined person if you want to achieve a high level in anything. And that discipline bleeds through into other areas of your life, such as for grades and for relationships and things like that. So, um, cultivation of discipline in that regard is also like pro-success. So, how should you perceive it then? I want you to think about the use of motivation as a Um, kind of like a battery. So when you have motivation for something over there, you can use it to power yourself in terms of discipline for something over there. The way that I see it is that if you want something badly enough, you will take the long-term view and you will do a bunch of things in the short term within your life that you know are connected to long-term success for that thing over there, and you will use the motivation for either that thing or for smaller things connected to it to power that battery. So, for example, gym. It's hard to go to the gym, but I really want to successfully sell t-shirts. Uh, no, let's say I want to like, have money to renovate my house. And one of the ways I want to do that is by selling t-shirts because I don't like working a job. So, I'm super motivated to do that. So, in order to sell t-shirts, I need to have abs because that is useful for selling t-shirts. So, now, although I'm motivated to sell t-shirts, I'm using that motivation as a battery and I'm disciplining myself to go to the gym because I want to have abs so that i can do that thing over there so you would say like well okay i want to do esport and do competitive esport there's a long term right if you take the long term view there's a lot of ways that's going to play out maybe you become a pro maybe you become a coach maybe you become an analyst maybe you become an amateur coach of a of a youth team maybe you start a team eventually maybe you work for a team as a business developer maybe you work for a team as an engineer maybe you work for a team or a publisher later in life as a designer or an asset media person i don't know there's all sorts of ways that this could play out in your life so you're focused on the esport realm right and so um what you do is you investigate your interests and you take that motivation and you apply it to your school and you think well okay to open the maximum number of doors in esport in the long term i need to be good at video games and have good grades and uh pay attention to opportunities and doors that open to me uh within the normal track and like start taking them, right? Um, but then you you also realize that, of course, as everybody does, that more doors open for you, the more successful you are at the standard track in life. So you're thinking, okay, in order to have the maximum opportunities in esport, I need to have the maximum opportunities in life in general. Um, and so I need to be successful at these things that kind of like open doors for you in life in general, such as I need to be in a university setting, because that will give you infinitely more access to esport now especially now at university in the university context than being in high school so you need to do you know very well in grades so you have maximum choice for universities so that you can choose one that's esport specific you need to have like very good grades and a good marketable like high school career so that you can have maximum um maximum funding from universities so that you can get like not only into a good one but kind of like not have to worry so much about money so you can get scholarships and then that will enable you to have maximum opportunity to open doors in esport at that university and to choose the one that will give you the most doors for esport kind of at the university due to your discipline there so you kind of see how the motivation for that thing you can use it as a battery and apply it to to actions that have nothing to do with your original like with just like blindingly spamming games online to kind of get good at video games right this in a way this is kind of similar to the uh, the definition of emotion that Cosmides and Toby gave for question number one which is that an emotion is like you have all these programs in the brain and the emotion is the overarching control over it that allows you to uh, go in a specific direction with your action. Uh, you could see it as like you have all these disparate things you could do in your life and the emotion of motivation is allowing you to kind of control your discipline towards this thing that is completely unrelated to your objective, which is to spam video games, your motivation, which is to spam video games for for mastery. Um, but instead, you're kind of like doing this other thing. All right, so what about related to the idea of pursuit of mastery through video games and spamming that? Well, the pursuit of mastery is a very, very motivating thing, and it's like one of the maybe one of the core aspects of human motivation. So one of the one of the best definitions of motivation would be uh, the self determination theory, which posits that um, your motivation is based on your autonomy and your relatedness and your um, kind of like competence. So your pursuit of mastery in a way, and and it says that one of the basic psychological needs that humans have is the act of development in the pursuit of competence, increasing competence in something. And so the pursuit of mastery, right? So you can see that aspect of your personality and shepherd it towards a uh, successful outcome in a bottle, right? You can bottle it up and contain it. And that's the thing that I always recommend on this channel is that you shouldn't let that run freely because you'll just play video games 16 hours a day and you'll do it and you'll sacrifice everything else in your life at the altar of, well, I'm pursuing mastery. Um, and you'll let that that psychological need kind of run rampant and trod over everything else that you could accomplish in your life. But if you bottle it up and you say, for these two hours or these four hours, I'm going to incredibly effectively pursue mastery in this esport or in this video game what actually happens is you you start to study the art of pursuing mastery the art of development within those two hours and you start to optimize it because you realize okay your mind's like all right i only have two hours or four hours that i've given myself to play this video game and to get better at it so i better make the best use of these two hours and you try to make use of that time and you actually inversely learn way more about development and about mastery and about pursuing optimization within the game than you do if you spread out your effort over 16 hours which makes your brain super lazy and you just kind of equate time spent with getting good which is not the case so i recommend taking that competence building urge and bottling it up and tightening down the ends and the beginnings and like using it as a way to motivate yourself to then improve your mastery building all right that's the answer and i hope it was helpful john and thank you for tuning in for the show to the show everybody who's here make sure to check out the show daily live 7 30 p.m los angeles time on my uh amazon streaming channel amazon company owned streaming channel which i'm not going to say the word of because i don't want to get picked up by youtube mind games weldon is the channel name and you can also check out the mac program which i advertised earlier use the code ask weldon i will see you as always tomorrow That's the show for you today. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Remember, you can check out the show live at twitch.tv slash mindgameswelden every day, 6.30 p.m. And you can join the pre and post show chat where I answer questions from the audience in depth. We can kind of dig into them deeper because you're there to respond. And make sure that if you check out the Mac program, mindgames.gg slash mac, that you guys use the code podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.